0: Cancers have been linked to many factors and environmental toxins are but one of them. What do you know about the research on multiple myeloma and the toxins that people were exposed to after 9-11? You're listening to REACH MD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focusing on cancer. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Brian Dury, an attending physician in hematology at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Dr. Dury's clinical expertise is in multiple myeloma. He's the Senior Advisor for Hematologic Malignancies and the National Program Director for Multiple Myeloma and Related Disorders for APDM Oncology. His many years of research have earned him a place in who's who in America, as well as the best doctors in America. Today, we're discussing research into possible etiologies of multiple myeloma. We're glad you could be here today, Dr. Dury.
1: Glad to be here.
0: So tell us about some of the mechanisms of the pathophysiology of multiple myeloma, because that'll help us understand some of the etiologies you're looking at.
1: Obviously, myeloma is a cancer of the plasma cell, which resides in the bone marrow normally. And it has been difficult to document or prove what is leading to cancer of these plasma cells. However, a lot of clues have built up over the last couple of decades linking myeloma with a variety of of uh, environmental toxins, environmental exposures.
0: Now, it was once considered an incurable disease. Has that changed?
1: Yes. The disease for several decades, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, was a very, very difficult disease to treat. We were relying on traditional chemotherapy, which unfortunately was just not that effective. Then we started to use high-dose chemotherapy with transplant, which did have some impact, but really did not transform the outcome. But In the last five to 10 years, three new drugs have been introduced, Revlimid, Velcade, and Thalidomide, which really have had a, a quite different impact on this disease, making it much more treatable for some patients, turning it into potentially a chronic, treatable disease.
0: Now, you've uncovered some very interesting demographic information regarding the environment and exposure to noxious chemicals and multiple myeloma. Tell us a little more about this and some of the genetic linkage that may be behind it.
1: Well, I think that in trying to uncover what might be causing myeloma, a very large number of epidemiology studies have been done. And One looked at cancers among different occupations to try to get a sense, is myeloma common in a particular occupation versus another? And firemen were investigated, firemen from all across the country, in fact, uh, all around the world, and a recent meta-analysis uncovered that among firemen, there are several cancers which occur, but multiple myeloma is at the top of the list. So multiple myeloma, unfortunately, is the commonest cancer which is reported among working farmen who are obviously exposed to a variety of toxins as part of their work with burning fumes exposure and coming in contact with a, a variety of very toxic agents.
0: Now, have they further looked at the amount of exposure relevant to those who develop the disease?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this is an area of active research to try to document what toxins are present in the fumes, how much accumulation there might be over time in the firemen and, uh, and things like that. And One of the things that the International Myeloma Foundation has been involved with is to try to assess well, not every fireman gets myeloma, fortunately. There are some who are apparently predisposed. Can we identify with personalized genetics who might be predisposed to getting myeloma? And perhaps we can give some advice and precautions that would prevent the onset of the disease. And so we recently have. Been using a project which is called Bank on a Cure, where we test and evaluate the DNA of patients with myeloma.
0: Now, am I right that 10, 15 years ago, we weren't thinking along those lines for multiple myeloma?
1: Yes, this is uh, molecular epidemiology, which is a completely new field. I think that we were stuck with uh, traditional epidemiology studies, where when you have a small number of cases, it makes it difficult to draw statistical conclusions. Now we have the opportunity to look for the fingerprint. If a chemical is causing a cancer, you can look at the DNA and see, okay, does the DNA have the pattern of DNA damage that's attributable to that chemical? And so that you can link the chemical with the cancer. And so that's where this research is heading, where you can take an individual patient and you can study the myeloma cells, you can study the DNA of their immune system and see What is the pattern? Is this a pattern linked to a chemical? Is this a pattern linked to myeloma?
0: Does that mean that coupled with the exposure, your DNA and your environmental exposure may pre-select you for myeloma and that other firemen who have a different DNA pattern may not be as susceptible?
1: That's right. So there were firemen who worked at the 9-11 site who who are fine, who've had no medical problems and and certainly did not uh, develop myeloma and that's because their DNA pattern is resistant to that, and they're able to fortunately get through that without a problem. But we're interested in prevention across the board, and so actually the International Myeloma Foundation has come up with specific recommendations for firefighters to reduce the risk of exposure. And it's simple. Use your respirator equipment. Clean your togs in between fires. Don't be walking around with equipment which is covered in toxic chemicals. And so we have specific recommendations which are on our website, which are distributed to firemen across the country, actually around the world.
0: For those of you just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm fortunate to speak today with Dr. Brian Dury. We're discussing recent research into the etiology of multiple myeloma, which may impact the effect of the disease. This is a harder question. Do you see, from your experience, maybe ethically, also getting into some demographics, that there's ever going to be a day when patients will be screened for a job and the risk evaluated before they're allowed to work in that profession?
1: I would certainly think and hope that that wouldn't be the way that this information would move. I think that the areas that I see movement are in highlighting precautions such that everyone would be safe and not exposed to things that are are toxic there is a program which coincidentally is called uh, REACH, which is one in which toxic chemicals are identified and screened such that they would not be on the market anymore. And so that there is the opportunity over time to remove chemicals from the market, to allow people to, to take precautions such that they're not exposed to chemicals, and to give that individual knowledge of risk to the individual but not have that be something that we'd be used against them.
0: Is there any implications on this work and other people who may be at risk for multiple myeloma because of toxin exposure besides firemen?
1: Absolutely. I think that we see that this is broadly applicable and over time as we learn more about all the different subgroups of myeloma where there are undoubtedly uh, different factors involved. This is one of the difficulties where not everyone is a fireman. We are all exposed to different chemicals in in different ways and so It's just going to take time to identify what those ways are, what the chemicals are, and what would be the most appropriate precautions. And so we are interested in in raising awareness about all of these things. In fact, we were most fortunate to have a spot on the NBC Evening News where we were able to, to highlight myeloma and start to draw attention to some of these issues.
0: Now, can we talk a little about the impact your work with multiple myeloma is having on other cancers? Because it's changing the way cancer is being treated, correct?
1: That's right. I think that I gave the analogy with chronic myelogenous leukemia and, and the drug Glebeg, but I think that the treatment of myeloma is, is impacting chronic lymphocytic leukemia, the blood cancers, a range of cancers where the intent is to control the disease over time, not necessarily use the old paradigm of hitting hard with toxic chemo and creating a lot of problems up front.
0: Do you think multiple myeloma will ever be cured in our lifetime?
1: Well, I don't see why not. I think that there is tremendous uh, progress. I'm looking to the fact that perhaps a combination of these new drugs might really create something close to a cure. But as patients tell me, chronic for 10 to 20 years, they'll take that. It's similar to diabetes. Diabetes is not cured, but if you can take a tablet or if you can take insulin and it's controlling the disease well, it's sufficient. I think that we we absolutely want to eradicate the disease, but if we can control it long-term, That really is pretty good, and I think that I'm also looking to prevent people from getting this disease as well, and I would see that as a very, very important goal.
0: What mistakes do doctors make in treating multiple myeloma? Do they almost always refer to the hematologist or the specialist correctly?
1: Well, I think that the the crucial things are to be suspicious up front, to do the testing that's needed, follow up on that little bit of anemia, check out that back pain, check out that protein in the blood or the urine, get that diagnosis early. And once you have the diagnosis, don't be hesitant to get the extra help that you might need to see, will that new drug possibly be good for my patient? So. Please get that second opinion. The patient will be able to come back with you and follow through on the treatment, but get that that feedback so that the patient is getting the best that's available these days.
0: Tell us a little bit about the work the International Myeloma Foundation is doing to cure and help patients with multiple myeloma.
1: Well, I think that we provide a huge amount of information, we have publications that are available free of charge, we have a website. We also have a chat room called the Listserv where patients can go online and chat electronically. They can also pick up patients where they can establish offline discussions. And this is tremendously helpful if a newly diagnosed patient can talk to a patient who's been alive for 10 years, who's gone through treatment and could explain to someone else what it entailed and and the positive outcome. And so That is terribly important. In addition to that, we support research. We support this project, Bank on a Cure, where we're studying the DNA of patients with myeloma. We're supporting a whole range of different research projects so that we feel that helping the patient and supporting research, these two important things have to happen in parallel.
0: What are some of the issues multiple myeloma patients may face that are different from other cancers?
1: Well, I think that one of the crucial things right now is what I call the transition from fear to hope, they go to the library when they're diagnosed and they look up the textbook and they see the results of the old chemotherapy and they're immediately terrified. So the first thing is to get to a discussion, to find out that there are new things available, that there can be hope, that the treatment can work, and they can have a remission that can last possibly for many, many years. And so they have to, first of all, get over this barrier of a lack of knowledge and get through to the correct awareness about the disease. The other aspect is that it is a difficult disease because it can affect multiple parts of the body. It's not like breast cancer where you can have the lump in your breast removed. This is something where you could have a spot in your spine, a spot in your leg or your arm, and so you need to rely on treatment which is traveling through you know, the bloodstream to get to that tumor. And so it's a little bit sneakier, and that takes time for patients to understand and grasp fully.
0: Dr. Durie, thank you for being my guest today. I've truly enjoyed it.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: We have been discussing research into the etiology of multiple myeloma. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the special series, Exploring Cancer, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.